Hey everyone, welcome back to Hair of the Werewolf. I'm Lily, and I have with me... Chase, what's up? <laughs> and we are a paranormal horror podcast that likes telling each other true scary stories from around the world. And today, we have a pretty good story. It's a big story that I will be doing, but it's mostly in honor of Chase's birthday. It was actually one of your birthday presents. <laughs> <laughs> was that I didn't have to do research for this right. <laughs> That I was going to do it all, and that we were going to have a ton of fun. Uh, with it because I kind of implemented a little something in there and we'll talk about that in a second but before that do we have anything to announce or say before we get started uh, other than my birthday was awesome oh yeah your birthday yeah <laughs> was a super big deal got uh got some pretty awesome gifts from from some people and uh I actually got pretty drunk one of the first times I've been drunk in a while because yeah. I've been cutting back on my drinking you so. hadn't drank since when was it new year's it was new year's yep yep that was a good day one of my favorite gifts that i just got came super late because lily always happens to have a, a present that comes after my birthday <laughs> it's was, tradition apparently was a beer of the like it was a 365 day calendar with beer stuff, beer facts, beer information, beer trivia, and everything. That's similar as my page a day that I talked about in that other episode, the Valentine's Day one, because that's how I got my... Oh, no, no, no. It was the Barf and Barb. That's how I got that story. Barf and Barb. Yeah, that's where it came from. So I've been you know, going through every single day trying to catch the calendar up to today looking at them, and I ran into one that I'm just going to share with you guys. It's not horror-related, but you know that me and Lily like to travel a lot. So I think I found a place we really want to travel because I've been dying to go to Africa somewhere. And most of the places I want to go, Lily's like, no, because it's either in the middle of a civil war or it's like rainforest filled with uh, poisonous creatures. Yeah. So or venomous or whatever. So I found that according to this beer trivia, Namibia has the second highest per capita beer consumption in the world. And it's only behind the Czech Republic and Europe, which is famous for their beer consumption. So apparently when the uh, Germans colonized last, uh, well, I guess it was two centuries ago because it was the 1800s, mm-hmm. the, one of the things they left behind was a massive love for beer. Yeah, so one of their better traits. That means we have to go there because everyone loves beer. And just get this. They said on average, each Namibian drinks 108 liters of beer per year. Damn. That's a lot of beer. Impressive. And I'm a beer fanatic. Yeah. So I'm pretty excited. And so it's right next to South Africa, which you've also admitted you're willing to go to. So mm-hmm. we could probably just hit them up. Do yeah, one, two there punch. are definitely parts that I want to go. But you're like, let's do the fucking Congo. I'm like, no, never. Thank you. But I've thank wanted, you for asking. I've wanted to go to Lagos. <laughs> I've wanted to go to Congo, Egypt. Egypt. Not the, not the I safest mean, places to go right now. Sure. Uh, maybe one day. So what are you drinking tonight? So I'm actually drinking, what was it called again? Let's see. It is uh, a hard cider from Sandia, which is pretty good. It's watermelon. It's a little on the sweet side. It is a little sweet, but it's actually kind of delicious. It's a, it's like a treat. Like, I don't know how many I can have, but I'm I'm definitely enjoying it right now. It's so. definitely one of the leftovers from the party of the people who <laughs> people bring stuff. And then it's you. Know, I always look in the fridge the next day. What was left behind from the party before? And yeah. it was a lot of these ciders. Start looking at our inventory and it's like, wow, we have a lot less, but a lot of different stuff than what we bought. So that was always interesting. Almost all the PBRs are gone, though. Makes me so proud. I know. Mm. All our friends are just are OK with this. Well, and today I'm drinking Lagunitas Hoppy Refresher. Yeah. <laughs> 
which is a zero alcohol, zero everything carbonated hop drink. However, when they say that and I taste it, it kind of has that artificial sweetener flavor, which I hate. Yeah. So I'm not sure if I like it yet, but at the very least, it's something I can drink that feels appropriate. Like you're you're part of it. It ain't no hop tea. It is no hop tea. Yeah, hop tea is actually really good for non-alcoholic It's like one of my beverages. favorite things. I just don't want to pay for it, so. <laughs> yeah, I guess you get what you pay for, right? All right, so it's time for us to get into the story of the evening. So this story that I will be telling you today is also in honor of Chase's birthday. I will be doing a story about a cursed mummy. (laughs) If you're wondering why that relates to me, I'm obsessed with mummies and Egyptology and all that stuff. Yes, and that is all included. So in addition to that, I also implemented a mini game. Or rather, kind of like a quiz. I I don't really know what I did. But basically, I'm going to ask you a few questions. And if you answer them correctly, then I don't drink. So if you answer them incorrectly, then I drink. But I'm pretty confident that you're going to know them. So So you're saying if I do poorly, you're going to get smashed. Yeah. (laughs) And you have to edit the episode later. Uh, All right. So if you're listening to this episode and it sounds terrible, that was my fault. Yeah. That means I... I overestimated Chase's knowledge on Egypt, or ancient Egypt, anyway. But anyway, there, there are at least Number multiple... Number one, what shape are pyramids? <laughs> Cylinder. <laughs> Perfect. No, no, no. No, I think, okay, for... At the very least, they are multiple choice. So... Okay. That hel- that's helpful, I think. So let's get into the story. <clears throat> I was originally going to do a couple of different Cursed Mummy stories, but it quickly became apparent that each one was pretty lengthy on its own. So I decided to start with the first, with one, the OG. Do you have any guesses? I have a feeling, well, is it a mummy that's cursed or is it a tomb that was cursed? It's kind of all, but yeah. Because if it's a tomb, I'm going to go with the tomb of Tutankhamun when Carter opened it up uh, in the early 20th century. Yep. That's like the most famous cursed tomb of all time. That's the most famous one. So I decided to start strong. Yeah, that is the one I will be talking about today, about Pharaoh Tutankhamun's mm, tomb. Mm, 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 <laughs> mm, mm, mm. <laughs> She's like sitting there looking at her drink like, I don't get to drink. No, I'm like, no, no, you no. You should this... the Every time I got it right, you took a shot. This wasn't actually part of the quiz. I was just wondering if you oh, knew. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> So there are a couple of reasons why Tutankhamun was so popular, particularly among Egyptologists, and that's which is because the tomb that was discovered was completely intact and had not been disturbed since it was entombed. Yeah, I mean, he wasn't even an important king or pharaoh by any respect. It's just since we got so much, he's kind of well, he was just pretty like amazing to us. One of many, I guess. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So when archaeologist Howard Carter, as you mentioned, opened Tutankhamun's tomb on November 4th, 1922, the discovery stirred media attention. This would have been incredibly exciting. The last people to have touched anything within the tomb uh, would have been an ancient Egyptian themselves over 3,000 years ago. That's insane. Some yeah, of the- a, we had a huge issue with, actually throughout time, of yeah. tomb, tomb robbers would mm-hmm. go in there and steal stuff so... Every now and then they would find something where some stuff would be missing and then there'd be some dead bodies, but untouched, which is so amazing. Exactly. 
Some of the items included were jewels, statues, clothing, chariots, and everyday items to help them settle into the afterlife. With that said, most of the items found in the tomb were made of gold or covered in gold leaf. Aside from being gold valuable for obvious reasons that we find it valuable today, it's also a religious significance because it was believed that the gods were made of gold themselves. The tomb contained over 5,000 items, but equally important, it contained valuable information that helped us better understand how royalty was buried and its significance between life and death. There was a quote from Dr. Zai Hawass, who was uh, Egypt's general secretary of Egyptian Supreme Council of Antiquities, as well as being a world-renowned Egyptologist. He said, quote, the thinking of afterlife built ancient Egypt, built Egypt, and without that, you would not have seen the pyramids, end quote. I just really liked it. Yeah, that's nice. Yeah. There's so many things I want to ask if you're going to talk about them, but I just have to be patient. I don't know. I can go with the flow and then just, you know, I can add more information when it comes up. But if you have any questions, okay. yeah, let me know. No, well, how about what do you think the creepiest thing they found in the tomb was? Ooh. Because I know what mine is. I wonder if this is one of the questions because I do have something like something about that. But no, I actually want to know what, what it is. Uh, there was the mummified dead child. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, That's so creepy to me. So that that did happen because I think like I didn't I think it was that. a stillborn baby yeah that that's what I was gonna say because I did remember coming across information about like what else could be buried in there it could be other loved ones yeah so King and Tut whatnot, had so. a lot of physical problems you know yeah. he was like club footed and he had some other issues and he married his sister so mm -hmm. there was a lot of genetic mess up going on there and I think his parents were our siblings too mm -hmm. so yeah there was a lot of weird stuff going on so I actually am gonna get to some of the stuff that you talked about but before we get into any of that, I have a question. Okay. Bring it on. So, <laughs> to preface, he was the last of his royal family of, or rather, he was the last of his royal family to rule at the end of the 18th dynasty. He died very young at the age of 19 years old, which is estimated, which brings me to the question, how many years did King Tut rule according to National Geographic? <laughs> Didn't he take over the throne when he was nine? So he was like 10 years? Is that your final answer? Well, oh, I, I guess said I can... multiple choice. Oh, you're right. I forgot to give those So I'm just guessing from my, my memory. So it's nine, 10, or 11 years. 10 years. I think he started when he was nine. You are correct. Oh, oh, oh <laughs> yeah. Take that. So King Tut had some medical issues, like you said, but that wasn't necessarily the reason why he died. He did have the club... Uh, foot uh, scoliosis and there was also evidence that he contracted several strains of malaria but ultimately the like i guess the most popular theorized reason as to why he died was of a leg injury which they noticed was fractured and was never healed so they healed. thought yeah so i'm assuming that's that's See, what it was despite all his problems i'm pretty sure he could have been prom king because he didn't have paint on his overalls or a ponytail yeah so <laughs> and he didn't have any glasses either so that really helped so let's talk about mummification. Let's just throw that in there. The belief of the afterlife, as Dr. Hawass described earlier, gave way for intricate rituals and extravagant architecture. The intent was to achieve a smooth transition from this life to the next. Now, this life was far less superior to the afterlife, so it made perfect sense to spend all that time preparing. Mm -hmm. The process of burial was crucial and mummification was an important process. There are different ways to dry the body and wrapping methods to accomplish mummification. 
Organs would be removed because they feared that decay would somehow interfere with with, uh, preservation and in turn disturb the sanctity of the afterlife. And they also removed the organs they think they didn't need. Um, so some were thrown away and some were kept. Yeah, yeah. some were kept in the canopic jars. Yep, yep. That's not one of the questions. <laughs> I'm but ready you, for it. But you seem like really already like anticipating. I love excited. it. Yeah, I like to, to keep you on edge here. Now, initially, some of the organs, like you said, were would have been mummified separately and placed into, what did you call them? Canopic jars. There you go. I just said chest. And so after all that was completed... The body would be adorned with necklaces, pins, and other jewelry for the afterlife because you got to keep it fresh for the gods. There are, oh, this is the next question, actually. There are many extraordinary items in King Tut's tomb, but one piece of item was later revealed with x-ray fluorescent spectrometry. It was made out of meteorite. What was that item? (laughs) Uh, It was a dagger. I didn't even have to give you the um, multiple choice. Yeah, it was a dagger. Yeah, there were two daggers found. One was gold and one was made out of the meteorite. Yeah, so, yeah, there were a couple of them, but... There's nope. there's actually one super important thing. Actually, it's two things. I'm so excited for you to get to them. If not, we're going to mm. talk about it at the end, because to me, they are the true haunted part of the tomb. So I'm really excited. We'll get to those. Wow. If you I have no you idea. I probably won't. Let's I don't see. even know what I did. Okay, let's see what I did. With all these goodies, uh, grave robbers were a constant struggle. Again, we're talking about that. Now, despite putting up walls and trap chambers, the issue persisted. So the pyramids basically became a giant neon sign for treasure. And so by the 18th dynasty, the royal cemetery was moved into the south of Thebes, where there were no giant monuments at all. They called this place the Valley of the Kings. And within this area, nothing grew. So it was literally like the land of the dead. There is, however, a large peak mountain of dirt that strongly resembles a pyramid, and that's why they settled on lying <laughs> dead there, which I thought was really <laughs> Natural funny. Natural pyramid. Yeah. Within the valley, there were tunnels that go like hundreds of feet with multiple rooms, chambers that were used to store all those treasures. So they're still looking for stuff, and yeah, you just never know. It's not as obvious anymore. So I think one of the things that I find incredibly gross about uh, <laughs> tomb robbers from back in the day is there was this huge fad hundreds of years ago mm-hmm. where people wanted to steal mummies from tombs because they were eating them. Oh, God. Like jerky? But, uh, no. Well, <laughs> I think they were mostly like, grinding them up and, and people were consuming them because they thought they would like cure all kinds of ails and, um, and issues and whatnot. Like a delicacy or like a... Or I don't like think a it was a delicacy. It was more that it was supposed to be magic? like... Yeah, some sort of like creepy hoodoo magic. Well... And it got to the point where... I mean, to be fair, whose fault was that? Right. The pharaohs for all their magic talk. So, but I mean, these were like Westerners that were buying imported mummies. Oh, yikes. Yeah, it was really gross. (laughs) Like Europeans who were doing this. And so some people said, hey, this is a good way to make money. So they were making fake mummies. And they were using chemicals and whatnot to create the fake mummies, like formaldehyde and everything. So people who were consuming them were getting sick and dying. That's so gross. But I mean, what do you expect? You're already consuming a dead person. This is really bad. Yeah, but... The whole situation is gross. I mean, it's just an added factor, I guess. But yeah, it's pretty disgusting. Yikes. Okay, well... Yeah, if you guys are intrigued by that, trust me, it is worth looking into because it's super fascinating. And I might have even gotten minuscule things about that wrong, but... It's totally worth your time to look it up. Wasn't there a scientist who ate woolly mammoth? 
Like they found there was a, a whole preserved... group of them that they found one as the permafrost was yeah. receding. They found a preserved woolly mammoth, and the whole group cooked it up and ate it. And they all said it tasted like Chicken? super freezer burned meat. Ah. Uh. I mean, doesn't matter how cold something is, if if it's not meant to be preserved in that way, it's going to get damaged over time. So it tasted kind of icky. Yeah, well, but they can also say, I ate a woolly mammoth. Who can who can say that? I wish I could. That sounds really awesome. <laughs> I'll pass. I mean, there's a reason humans hunted them to an extinction. I bet they tasted awesome. Well, yeah, not anymore, though. <laughs> so, yeah, did not talk about that in my research. But, yeah, I guess I didn't have enough mummy facts i'm mostly talking about just tutankhamen they are the og zombie if you will they are and uh if you're an office fan like we are (laughs) one of my favorite scenes is when kevin is uh, talking about how (laughs) mummies don't exist and when they had to explain to him that mummies did exist it terrified him to his core he was like why would they do that (laughs) why would they create them yeah so where did I leave off? I think I was talking about, oh, yeah, the spells and the things that people put on, right? Did I mention that? Well, that's where we are. <laughs> so, um, yeah, yeah. So other other ways to deter grave robbers were spells in particular, and a lot of them were curses because the idea was if you disturb their, their grave and take their treasures, then you were obviously going to be cursed. But a lot of them weren't bad spells. Some of them were to gain access into the afterlife. I think there was one that you had to recite as soon as you died. So like once you were already crossing. So you had to like memorize all these spells, <laughs> which I thought was really weird. So, but here's a passage from one Egyptian curse. Quote, as for anyone who will do something evil against this, my grave, seize a stone from this, my tomb, remove any stone or any brick from this, my tomb, enter this tomb in impurity he will be judged regarding it by the great God. I will wring his neck like a goose and curse those who live up on earth to fear the spirit who are in the West. I will exterminate his survivors, end quote. <laughs> That's like fancy as saying would kill you and all of your descendants. Yeah, and everything, exactly. It was the best form of security, I guess, for anyone who was buried with any valuables, and especially for those who couldn't afford the cost of a high-end mummification package or whatever. Anyone who... <laughs> like, hey, you make it sound like... Like it was a deal, you know? Yeah, retirement plan. It's like, <laughs> which one are you going for? It's like, I can't afford that one. Uh, anyone was actually allowed to be mummified, but it was whether or not you were able to afford it. That was the issue. Yeah. So now back to King Tut specifically. In total, there were 58 people present when the tomb was opened. Here's your next question. How many of those actually died from King Tut's curse? Not affected. That's a totally different number and a lot higher. But who actually is considered to be directly associated with, like, the opening of the tomb and being there directly? Okay, I have an idea of a rough estimate, but I need to hear your your multiple choices. Okay. Five, nine, or twelve. Okay, well, I was thinking it was seven, so it's right between five and nine. <laughs> so I'm going <laughs> to yeah. go with five. It's nine. Oh, no. Yeah. You gotta so, take a shot. I, <laughs> I remembered it was low. I My heart said below 10, so yeah. I was hoping you were going to say, like, one below 10 and one that was, like, 30 and one that was, like, 50. Yeah. You made them too close. So, so this was very difficult for me to find. Now, whenever I, I went online and I just Googled, like, how many people died because of the curse, nine was, like, the most popular answer. Okay. There were so many discrepancies within it, but when I also asked how many people were 
present during the opening of the tomb, it said 58 was the most popular answer. But that doesn't necessarily mean the people that were physically touching the tomb, mm-hmm, which mm-hmm. is a much lower number. So if you well, really think I'm about it. And I'm also talking about people who were there when it was open, but not necessarily people who went inside. Exactly. So that's also another different because number. Because back then, archaeology was a very weird process and flawed. And oh, there's yeah. a good chance they only let a few people in there, people who they thought were prestigious enough and people who they... Prestigious is definitely uh, the issue here because there would have been other archaeologists who could have like provided some sort of like mm-hmm. important information or or gathered or more helpful because there were people there that probably had no business being in there. Well, yeah, and I'm pretty sure they would assume that some random laborer who was digging or something like that, like, oh, they're they'll not steal even... something. I'm not going to let them yeah. in there or something. So... Okay, so nine. So right. nine out of 58, but the number is likely more in the 20s. I know I got so, it wrong, but I'm pretty satisfied that I was very close for you my You were. Head. You were actually very close. So uh, Let you me better get... take your drink before we continue. <laughs> so glad you're keeping track here. Yes, so let me do that. Lily drinking is best Lily. <laughs> I have many forms. <laughs> this isn't even her final form. <laughs> Skip to it. You're like <laughs> drooling over yourself. I have achieved. <laughs> I have a friend. Um, so, you know, Kat, yeah. her friend. I hope he doesn't get mad, but his name's Aaron. And he said, like, when I start drinking, he likes to call me Lilith. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, Lilith is here. <laughs> I don't know what that says about me, but I'm really excited about it. That's your, that's your medieval name, Lilith. That's my... <laughs> Yeah, that's my drunk medieval name. <laughs> yeah, you'd be Lilith of Van Nuys. <laughs> my okay, Lady so Lilith of Van Nuys. Lady Lilith of Van Nuys. So, yay. Cheers to that. Woo. Okay. I am ready. So now let's talk about the people that were directly affected and their stories. So George Herbert, the fifth of Earl of Carnarvon, was the first to die. He was a guy that was financing the expedition because he was really into ancient Egyptian history and not really anything. He's more like an amateur, I guess. Him and Carter teamed up, and with that same goal in mind, the expedition continued for six long years. On the sixth year, Carnarvon wanted to call it quits, but Carter went and, like, traveled to wherever Carnarvon was to convince him about continuing the expedition. And whatever he said worked because... He continued. He's like, I'm on the verge of discovery. I swear. Blah, blah, blah. It continued. And good thing it was because the tomb was obviously discovered. And when the discovery was made, Carter had to wait until Carnarvon was present. So now he had to wait for him to travel down, which I cannot imagine how difficult that would have been knowing it was right there. Six long years and I had to wait, like, I don't know, maybe a week or something. I don't know how long travel would have been, but not not easy, I think. People were a lot more patient back then, if you ask me. I don't know. You, they had you to wait just for discovered... letters. They had to wait for everything. Well, yeah, because he had to send a telegram. Yeah. And then once that got there, figure out if he's actually coming down. Carnarvon eventually got there. And they opened the tomb, and everything seemed great. Then a couple of months later, Carnarvon got a mosquito bite on his cheek that he'd later accidentally cut open while shaving. The wound was treated, but the cut became infected. Now, Carnarvon would run a fever and was in bed for a couple of days. He eventually felt better and was walking around just fine, but unfortunately, he relapsed and became even more sick. 
He would contract pneumonia and die on April 5th, 1923, at the age of 56. It's said that the night he died, all the lights in his house went out. Ooh. As well as all the lights in Cairo. Ooh. I don't know. That's kind of freaky. Sounds like a power outage. Sounds- <laughs> <laughs> Somehow connected, but a total power outage. Actually, I think he was in Cairo when he died, so that makes sense. But before I go on, I know I gave you the first story, but I just realized that we need to take a little break, and we will be back here in a second, right? Because I see that you're almost done with your drink. time for number two. I just took a shot, so I'm feeling crazy. Yeah, let's take a break. All right, we're back, and my goal right now (laughs) is to both sound smart, but also make Lily drink. So we're going to see if I get any of these questions wrong or right. It's a very difficult balance, I think. Yeah, because it's my pride versus seeing you drunk. (laughs) Two things, two things I care about. Two pleasures. Uh, yeah, so let me get into the next story. So first I talked about uh, Lord Carnarvon and how he died because of the curse. And the second person is now Sir Bruce Ingham, who was friends with Howard Carter. So Carter gave him a mummified hand as a gift. Ingram didn't let the gift go to waste. He actually ended up using it And this is your next question. What did Ingram use the ancient mummified hand for? A, a table centerpiece. B, a paperweight. Or C, a jewelry holder for his wife. Jewelry holder for his wife. A paperweight. Damn. (laughs) I didn't know. I had no idea what the answer was. Okay. I was wondering if you've heard anything like that. But I was also thinking the only thing that isn't really being used is a paperweight. Because a paperweight doesn't really... No one needs to hold paper down well, unless they're in a windy area. Maybe because like, okay, so I'm just trying to like put myself back into 1920 whatever. And there wasn't enough insulated slash uh, circulated heat or, or you know, any kind of air conditioning. Oh, so the windows would stuff. be fans, uh, windows would be left open. I think paperweights might have been more prevalent. That's a good point. I didn't think about that. All right. So I guess it was kind of used. Yeah. But also jewelry holder. I totally, that one I came up with. I was like, oh, what would I use it for? Yeah, I'm, I was honestly thinking, like, <laughs> Lily would totally have a mummy hand on her on her dresser holding jewelry. Yeah. That sounds like, awesome. Here are my rings. Yeah, exactly. So let me take my shot. I actually. <laughs> You're like, thank God. <laughs> She's sitting there salivating while I oh was getting God. ready. She's like, please get it wrong. Why do you think I made him so good? <laughs> the questions. Cheers again. Okay. All right. Let's get on with the rest of the deaths and slash curses. So George J. Gould, a an American railroad executive, just went to go visit the tomb in 1923. Then immediately after, he fell sick with pneumonia and died a few months later. Aubrey Herbert, Lord Carnarvon's half-brother, who was not associated with King Tut's discovery, in any way, or even visit the tomb, but people are still like, well, because since Lord Carnarvon was the initial death and also sure. like heavily in- invested, they think it was by association. Now, he ended up having a series of ailments, such as a degenerative eye condition that would have left him blind. The doctor then told him that his rotting teeth likely were the cause of his blindness, so he decided to have surgery to have his teeth removed. Because he was like, oh, that'll get my sight back. Well, it didn't. (laughs) (laughs) In fact. Oh, um, old medical. (laughs) I know. It's like, I'm pretty sure it was like because of this other reason that has nothing to do with your eyes. (laughs) Why don't you do cocaine about it? (laughs) Here's some cocaine. Go. 
Um, he actually ended up dying of sepsis as a direct result of the surgery. Mm. And this all happened only five months after Lord Carnarvon's death. So, so that's another reason why they kind of associated it. But they didn't go to the tomb, right? He didn't, no. All right, so I'm going to count that one off. So now we're down to eight. <laughs> well, no, no, no. I'm not talking about, like, all that died. So, okay. So here, here's the thing. Oh, okay, so they may not have been part of the original nine, but it was a notable death. It was. Oh, okay. Or a notable, like, association. I, I was like, let's yeah. get down to seven so let's I can get, be right. Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> There's that pride again. <laughs> the next one is Hugh Evelyn White, a British archaeologist. Uh, went to visit the tomb after it had been discovered, and he went, like, in 1924. Mm-hmm. It said that he was spooked when he learned that the tomb was cursed and that the lives it had already claimed. Not long after visiting the tomb, White committed suicide. But right before dying, he wrote in his own blood, quote, I have succumbed to a curse which forces me to disappear, end quote. Okay, that's fucked up. That's so messed up. To be fair, though, I don't want to undermine the fact that it might have been depression that he was referring to, but at the same time, that's really eerie. And the mind can do crazy things, but that's the kind of curse I'm looking for. (laughs) That's what we're looking for here. In my stories. Right. So the next person is Richard Bethel, was Lord Carnarvon's secretary, who was actually there when the tomb was opened. He was, I think he was in between, so it was like Carter, this guy, and then Carnarvon. So it was like all three of them in a line. Now, in 1929, he died under suspicious circumstances. While staying at an elite London's gentleman's club, Bethel was found dead in his room after being smothered. After the incident, his death was published in a newspaper that was instantly associated with King Tut's curse. Who smothered him? Uh, so I'll get to that in a second. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so the article read, quote, the suggestion that the Honorable Richard Bethel had come under the curse was raised last year when there was a series of mysterious fires at his house where some of the priceless finds, one of the priceless finds of Tutankhamun's tomb was stored, end quote. So there were, had a, I guess like from this article, allegedly there had been mysterious fires where some of his treasures were mm. of the tomb. So yeah, it's super weird. That was my only like, source though so we'll see now there is evidence that he wasn't just smothered by some god that came down from egypt into his room people believe that it might have been the famous satanist alistair crowley who when i read some things about him is a fucking wild ride that sounds like a future episode right it there. is a hundred percent going to be a future episode it does teeter on the whole true crime thing but he is very involved in the occult he describes things that he's witnessed that he's seen so it's very like it's very interesting story and that was one of my rabbit holes obviously as i was doing this research which is why it took me like three days to do so anyway i learned quite a bit i say now the next person is sir archibald douglas reed he was the radiologist that took x-rays of King Tut. Mm-hmm. Now, oh, do you know anything about that? No. Oh. <laughs> well, maybe I do. It really depends what you're going to say. Okay. So I knew very little about the people dying of the curse. Most of the stuff I learned was about the actual, like, artifacts in the tomb and the history of King Tut as All opposed right. get to... get out of here with your facts. Okay, <laughs> No, I, I, I knew very little about the curse. So right, this no. Is, I'm getting a lot of new from this. 100%. No, I get it. Like, I learned actually quite a bit about ancient history myself. I'm like, ooh, this is very interesting. Uh, not so much for the show, because, like, it's super, like, 
not important to the curse. In fact, I went on so many tangents right now that my mind is like buzzing with information. Anyway, point being, so yes, uh, Reed, the radiologist, the day after he took the x-rays, he got sick and then died only a few years, <laughs> only a few years later. No, a few days later. I found out that he already been sick from radiation and also he had just recently gone through surgery, which is linked to his actual death. But either way... What was he said to have died of? The surgery. So something might have gone wrong. Oh, okay. Because like, since he was already kind of sick before, I don't think he took the surgery well and then died. And the student before, they were fully aware of what radiation was causing to people. Yeah, because I guess he was like one of the pioneers, you mm. know, and that's just what kind of happens with those kind of scenarios but you don't really know look look at all these (laughs) x-rays yeah so that that's what happened there but he did die like right after and then the next one is obviously howard carter himself oh but he died many years later he did he died on march 2nd 1939 which 1922 10 17 yeah 17 years later Yes, so 17 years after discovering King Tut's tomb, he died of lymphoma, mm-hmm. which is totally not related. I mean, some people are like, finally, the curse caught him. But yeah, that's that- like 17 years. <laughs> I'm sure he was fine. Yeah. Now, with that said, he could have been very much cursed in a weird way because he got to see, not got to, like it was a privilege. <laughs> got to. <laughs> but like, um, unfortunately, saw a lot of his friends and people that might have you know, all this, like, media attention and just, he like... He may the, have felt that if it was real, he was partially responsible for their Exactly. Death. Yeah. So, I don't know. Like, I know, you know me. What I'm I would have felt that way. For Aww. sure. That's just who I am. Well, it's because you're a nice, nice man. Uh, so, no, yeah, this guy was like... You won't find me eating no mummies. <laughs> yeah, he was not, he was not, like, totally affected, but he was definitely suffering. Now, the person to outlive everyone that was, again super like directly associated with entering the tomb was lady evelyn herbert who is lord carnarvon's daughter because she died when she was 78 years old in 1980 so no one really associates that as the curse she kind of died of being older and she had a life and whatnot yeah i guess you had to be a girl to really outlive that (laughs) curse (laughs) is what i'm saying only took out the men's yeah only the men's Now, there were many other deaths that were considered to be linked to the curse, but a lot of those were just visitors, and I felt really weird just including them. Like, there was this one, I think his name was George Benedict, Benedict, I can't remember, it was French, and he was, uh, like, a curator for the Louvre, so mm-hmm. he went to go see the, the tomb, and he died, like, a week later or something crazy. There was another guy who was an aristocrat, an Egyptian aristocrat named Ali Kamel Fami Bey. And he was actually shot by his wife. And that was, again, very shortly after visiting the tomb. So I I feel like a lot of this was Ah, sensationalized, but but, I don't know. But what if they tried to, like, steal stuff from the tomb and the curse Right, because they actually were allowed entry so that's Mm -hmm. different than like do you know what i'm saying and maybe the curse affects people who have nefarious intention or anything like this maybe the guy who came from the louvre his intention was to be able to bring things to france (gasps) and you never know so maybe the curse understood people's intention as opposed to just curiosity of seeing things and that could have affected them or we could take the logical (laughs) point of view and that is Travel is already dangerous. You get exposed to all kinds of illnesses you're not used to. And especially back then when you had things like 
I'm not saying this is what actually happens if you go to Egypt, but I mean, people traveling all the time, oh, like, like all the with time. cholera or yeah. scarlet fever, or rubella, all these things before we had a lot of vaccinations for and everything. Traveling was a really good way to get sick and die. Well, yeah, then. I mean, there's like a lot of places. I mean, if you go travel for a couple of days, I don't know if it's like required, but I think if you have to live somewhere, it, like let's say I get a job, I don't know. Okay, let's say Egypt. They are some vaccinations that are required yeah, to get. Yeah, different countries have different yeah, required vaccinations. Exactly. And uh, yeah, it's absolutely true. So when you go into, if you join the United States military, there's a whole bunch of vaccinations you have to get that aren't standard for American citizens right. because they're specifically they for diseases in areas yeah. you might go. Yeah. Uh, one of them is meningitis. You're not required. Which actually you have. Which I have I, the meningitis I vaccine. I do not have. But yeah. most people in the United States don't have that. And that's one they give to all soldiers. Pretty common. Uh, to be fair, that is like a terrifying disease. So um, knock on my shot glass. <laughs> I hope Would. I never get it. <laughs> yeah. Um, anyway, yeah. That... If that doesn't terrify you now in this show, then I don't know what won't. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so now that I've told you all these super scary things, let me tell you some other things that may or may not have caused such a sensation. So we obviously know that these deaths occur and these unfortunate events in these real people's lives, but they might have had a bit of a push. So here we go. All right. Now, Arthur Weigel was a writer for the Daily Mail and so wanted to report on King Tut's story, but he wasn't allowed to, like everyone else, because Lord Carnarvon had sold exclusive rights to the Times newspaper. Oh, back when there was integrity in in journalism. (laughs) We can't tell people the news because we didn't have the rights to this story. Uh, Clearly, they had the lower bid. So it went to the Times So Weigel, he decided to do the next best thing. He decided to write all about the facts that he could find about King Tut and personal information about the archaeologist. Mm -hmm. One story he included was about Howard Carter's pet canary. Apparently, the canary had been killed by a cobra the day the tomb was opened. I did know that story. Oh, you did? Yeah. Okay. It was supposed to be an omen leading to it, yeah. Very much an omen. And that is because the cobra is a very important symbol in ancient Egyptian lore. And the cobra is associated with the sun god and the royal families of Lower Egypt, which I found out is actually north of the Nile. Mm -hmm. because it. So it's associated with the flow of the Nile. I don't know. Anyway. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. Okay, thank God. So I think those shots are taking effect. Let (laughs) (laughs) Let me just say right now. In addition, it's also their symbol of protection and a guardian of the gates of the underworld, and it also wards off enemies. The cobra also guides the pharaoh's journey to the next life. So, I mean, this is also, like, from a perspective of a certain time frame. So the cobra had shifted in different meanings. That was such a super broad... Whenever you go to different kingdom eras in Egyptian mythology, the roles of gods, the roles of all these different things do change. Yeah. And so it's very important when you're looking at the history of them to realize that there's no one definitive version of there almost is not. anything. Even the pronunciation of some gods' names change over time. I'm so happy you brought that up because I feel like less or more validated of why this took me so long because I, I felt like there was a lot for me to learn. Mm-hmm. And I 
and I just kept going in different paths and I'm like, this is so much information. There's a lot. It all means different things. And I want to be as accurate as possible, but it was almost impossible to do so because there was so much. Well, like, we're here for the curse. And if someone gets really inspired to read in on something, they'll be able to get the source with all like the strict specifics. You're right. You're right. But we're here for the curse. I just put a lot of pressure on myself. I'm like, I have to be <laughs> correct all the time. Except I don't have to be correct. That's the weird thing about me. I'm okay with being like a little flippant. But the, <laughs> the problem is, is that when it comes to this information, I was like, wow, people really care about this stuff. So I feel like I should be somewhat accurate. So here we go. Oh, yeah. So the canary, that that died. And also, Weigel would later go on to predict Carnarvon's death. He actually wrote an article, quote, if Carnarvon goes down into the tombs in that spirit... I give him six weeks to live, end quote. I don't, I think he meant like, if he ain't going to let me talk about this, then he's going to die soon. And that's rough because he did. Damn. <laughs> I was like, that's so messed up. That's a bitter, Oh yeah. bitter man. That's some anger. Uh, yeah. So obviously his articles and what he talked about definitely sensationalized because they weren't facts. They were, he was talking about like the curse sure. or, you know, whatever, because he really wanted to talk about the facts he wanted to see what was discovered and was not allowed to don't have a story make a story <laughs> that's a really good motto <laughs> uh so another person that helped bring attention to the audience was sir arthur conan doyle the creator of sherlock holmes oh yeah one of the greatest writers of all time yes that is what it said <laughs> just kidding no, i didn't say that <laughs> uh, no he is actually a very like a really smart guy now I can't remember if I mentioned this, but now that I'm thinking about it, I don't think I did. So this guy was super obsessed with the paranormal. Mm -hmm. And he was also really good friends with Harry Houdini, who was a diehard skeptic. Oh, yeah. It's because with Houdini, at one point, some alleged psychic claimed that his his dead mom was trying to tell him something yeah and he found out it was absolutely fake and so he made it his like mission to disprove every fake psychic for the rest of his life and we actually had talked about something similar well not that specific story but we've talked about harry houdini in a different story Mm -hmm. and i plan to cover some of the things because surprisingly these two guys come up quite a bit in different paranormal stories Mm -hmm. and i can't and i and i think maybe they deserve their own story like their own travel of the paranormal well the late 1800s and early 1900s was like the paranormal the occult and everything was just all the rage oh yeah it was quite the time (laughs) quite the spicy time (laughs) yeah uh is very exciting i should say Now, so everyone really knows how much Doyle was a true believer. Uh, Let me just say that when he heard about Carnarvon's death, he went to a New York newspaper and told them that he believed his death was due to an, quote, evil elemental, end quote, that had been conjured by Egyptian priests to protect the King Tut's tomb. He then goes on to say that he knows this is to be a fact because he had personal friends had become cursed I guess, from a different mummy, which, by the way, <laughs> <laughs> I tried looking up this said mummy's information, and I couldn't find it. Like, mm. I don't know. I don't know where he got that. But maybe there was a mummy. I'm not sure. I have one major thought on that whole thing. Okay. And that is, we don't get to use the word elemental enough. That's it right. sounds amazing. Elemental. It sounds like from the earth, but also like a little foreign. And mysterious. And, yeah. Yeah. 
When I heard that, I'm like, element. <laughs> well, she's so cool. We need to start using that more. Another thing that might have pushed the curse theory thing was the first cursed mummy story that I was able to find, which is in 1699. Now, this story was also brought back because of Pharaoh Tutankhamun's tomb. Okay. So it was like not an important story. And then they brought it up because they were like, oh, let's okay. bring up more mummy stories. So anyway, 1699. A Polish traveler stole two mummies from Egypt with the intent of returning them home and selling them. On his journey back home, the traveler began to have terrible nightmares of two mysterious entities. He began to suspect it was a curse, and each passing day, his dreams became more violent, and at the same time, so did the scenes. Eventually, the thief decided to throw the mummies overboard. As soon as he did, his nightmares vanished and the seas calmed down, allowing him to go back home safely. Or like it was gonna get really calm anyway, and he just got rid of his payload. But also maybe it was a guilt that his nightmares. Mm, I true. don't know. It's true. The nightmares were weird, right? Like I don't know. You just start having nightmares. I mean, I would have nightmares if I was lugging around a bunch of dead bodies. <laughs> that's, that's true. That's just me. But. And that could have been like maybe he was like desperate he's like i hear mummy transportation is really lucrative <laughs> and he's not really on board but also at the same time he needs money and the conscious got the best of him who knows okay so let's go into the skeptics kind of realm which is just like your your area of expertise but i also found it interesting to talk about so Absolutely. here we are there was a study in 2002 by a british medical journal that looked into the survival rates of 44 Westerners who were estimated to have been in Egypt or like in the excavation process at the time the tomb was opened. This was important to note because according to the curse, it only affected foreigners, not the natives. So that's also another Mm -hmm. thing. So when I said the 58 people, I think there were like archeologists there that were Egyptian. Yeah, and they were fine. And then, and they were like totally fine. You'd think that a, a good curse though, would have been for everyone because, I mean, a lot of the tomb robbers from, you know, thousands of years ago would have been Egyptians in the area. Oh, like, 100%. So you'd think that a real curse would have been anyone with, you know, malice or, or ill intent as opposed to, like, only people not from Egypt. Yeah, and that's and that's kind of what I thought because when I read this journal or what, excuse me, I did not read the journal. <laughs> I, I read a an article that talked about it and that's where we are well and i think it it also that that idea that it only affected foreigners feels like such a modern and i'm using modern as in like the last 300 years mentality because we have these ideas of nation defining us yeah whereas if you you know if you went back two thousand years to almost any region that is a country now chances are most of the people who live there now are not necessarily descended of the people who are there you, who oh you mean there. like a lot of like traveling and yeah, yeah and i mean like, like I, england's I mean, a good like, example because england has been invaded and pillaged by so many groups of people over the time that there isn't actually a genetic isolation of people who are british as opposed to people who are in other areas of of Europe around them, it's it's you can't just say, oh, I'm 100% British blood. There is no such thing. I mean, that's um, like pretty much every continent. I think at this point, exactly. Yeah, I, yeah. I was just using that because it's such now, a small, it's a small island compared but, to other massive countries. Well, within those continents, so like there is like definitive characteristics. So like when you say, oh, British, and when they consider British, they're like, 
more Eurocentric. Oh, yeah. Cultural identity. Viking looking. I'm trying to go back as far as possible. But yeah. So anyway. Yeah. Totally. I was just saying that the people who are living in Egypt at the time of King Tut's death and a lot of people living in Egypt right now aren't necessarily a strict linear line. Which is interesting because I find it like they probably have one of the more diverse aside from maybe certain parts of Africa. Yeah. With the amount of of war and movement and and cultural everything yeah. that's gone through that whole area the the flow of people is massive oh yeah so with that said <laughs> <laughs> where was i oh yeah um so what the study found is that of the 44 westerners only 25 were directly involved with the opening of the tomb so that's where i got that number okay the 25 remember and it was concluded that the death rates of one group was no different than the other. The average death rate was the same within the t- 10-year lifespan. Or 10 years, not oh, lifespan, but... Right, right, right. So... Here's, <laughs> so here. they were just saying, this was the 1920s, people died. <laughs> yeah, like, shit happens. But here's my rebuttal. Okay. I get that they separated those that who opened the tomb and those that were involved. But the curse did extend to all foreigners that were in Egypt, or does that mean, I don't know, like, was there was there a distant clause or something? Like, I'm really confused. The what does that mean? has, like, a little bubble of influence. <laughs> yeah, it's like, within 10-mile radius. But you not have... past the 6th Canyon. Yeah, <laughs> Do you, is this Humpa Canyon? Like, what's happening? I was trying yeah. to think. I was going to say, like, trees, but then you said nothing grew there, and I'm like, yeah, it's There's right. no. So, <laughs> so you had to say. It's uh, a mound of dirt. From the 5th mound. <laughs> <laughs> hey, they're going to open up that tomb. Let's get past this mound real yeah. quick. Yeah. How far does this magic extend is my question. So if, and also, that to me is already flawed. But I would also like to know the average lifespan of the people that were native and compare that to the Westerners. I have a lot of issues with this. So the socioeconomic classes would have been different and also cultural lifestyles would have been different. So also that's unfair of me to ask. Absolutely. I don't know, like, what the Western expectancy would have been like. Yeah. But anyway, there's a lot of things that were, I felt like, were unfair to say, this is a reason why it was not a curse. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, that's just me trying to but make I think this there real. Might be, I think there might be a lot of unfair things to say why it was a curse. I think that's it's fair too. both ways here. I guess I'm just very defensive right now because I had a shot. <laughs> very defensive because curses, yo. Because curses are, are crazy, scary, and awesome. So because of that, here are some fun facts that I learned and now everyone has to know about. This is one of my tangents, but I kind of really liked it, so you're going to have to... I love facts. Now, King Tut's father, King Akhenaten, decided to break away from the worship of multiple gods and only wanted to worship one. Mm -hmm. Now, to be specific, he went on to say that the sun god is the one true power and through his hand went to King Akhenaten's hand, and then that hand extended to the power of the people. Mm-hmm. So he's kind of like the Pope or something. Yeah, this, I think. this caused a lot of problems. Oh my God, do you know about it? Oh yeah. Ooh, tell me. Well, it, it, <laughs> it led to essentially a war where a group in the northern part that didn't believe in this, they, they wanted to create a new Egypt outside of King Tut's rule and said that he's not really a king and yeah. Ooh, okay, so yes, I did learn about the fact that they were trying to bury King Tut's 
uh, like ex- existence because yeah. he was like the last of that, I think, 18th dynasty or whatever I said earlier. And right, because he was a descendant. But anyway, so very correct. It was not well received. They were super pissed because it throws off the balance of life and death. Literally, the existence of Egypt at the time and how they built their entire society. Now, for a long time, it wasn't definitive whether King Akhenaten was King Tut's father, but as of 2020, one of Dr. Hawass's team member, that guy with the cool quote, mm-hmm. whose member's name is y- uh, Yeya, Yeya Gad, I hope I got that right, determined through DNA analysis that he was, in fact, the <laughs> father. <laughs> Damn, did they reveal this on Mari? Uh, yeah, they did. Mari was like, whoa, and so was I. <laughs> <laughs> the kid with scoliosis in the club book is in fact yours. Yes. Uh, I'm. So the, the young King Tut succeeded the throne right after. Mm-hmm. Now he did attempt to restore the old Egyptian religion. But unfortunately, King Tut didn't have a lot of time to execute these plans. Because again, he died when he was around 18 slash 19 years old, and thus never fully was able to restore the old beliefs. In addition to him dying young, his tomb was likely not completed, and therefore have uh, it, it didn't look as impressive as his predecessors. Predecess- as far as we know. Right, as, as far as we know. There also would have been only like a 70-day, this is also an estimation, mummification period. So that was a time frame that they had to get his tomb ready as well. So they're like, as soon as he's done, he has to get like in that tomb. Otherwise, he's not going to get into that afterlife, right? And this led to some very interesting things when it came to the creation of King Tut's stuff. Okay, I'm very curious because I don't know if I went down that rabbit hole. Some of the stuff they found and did research that... They were written and devoted to other people, and they <gasps> changed the names on, uh, on hieroglyphs to King Tut. That's some gossip right there. What happened? There well, there's an entire documentary about this that I'm going to show you, and we'll watch it. Because I got about halfway through it before stuff got in the way, so we'll watch it together because <laughs> it's super good. What was it called? Uh, you know what? I can't even remember the name of it. Oh, uh, okay. Well, well It's we'll on my it. queue. Okay. Well, <laughs> we'll let you guys know in the next episode. Mm-hmm. Stay tuned. So, yeah, the mummification process ended, and they had to, like, hurry up and get everything ready. Now, with that said, like you mentioned uh, earlier, they were kind of mad about the whole, like, father (laughs) situation with the one god. So, maybe they didn't care so much either. Sure, sure. Um, That could have been a factor as well. But that's also one of the theories, or rather uh, speculated, why maybe his tomb would have not been so impressive. Yeah, yeah. Uh, One of the smaller ones. Not because he wasn't important, because I feel like he was bringing it back. You know, the religion, but then he died. Oh, he's still a king. He was still, and also a king, a pharaoh. Come on. Who do we know has been a king? No one. Well, there's that one king from Africa who sent me <laughs> an email asking for some money. <laughs> That's I'm sure true. he's going to get it back to me real soon. I know a guy <laughs> who knows a guy. You're that guy. <laughs> a Nigerian prince, was it? <laughs> hey, Africa. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so anyway. Now, today, there's no doubt that people still find ancient Egyptian history incredibly fascinating. 
Every form of media has taken liberties and transformed what would be facts and religion into supernatural epics. And which one would you say that I'm about to quiz you on right now? Like movies and stuff. The mummy? Absolutely. <laughs> so my next question. Wait, the OG black and white Oh, no, no, one, no, no, no. The, the 90s one? The one you love. Okay, good. As long as we're not talking about the Tom Cruise one. Brendan Fraser. Oh. Status. Oh, here. Okay. The greatest movie of all time. Obviously. So relating to the mummy, here is your last question. The character Emotep was an actual person, mm-hmm. but he was not a high priest. What was his actual occupation? A, a chancellor. B, an artist. Or C, a leader in military defense. I'm going to say he's an artist. No. Yeah. Okay, so that might have been misleading that I think about it. Okay, so here's the thing. Because Imhotep is a name. There's going to be more than one. Uh, oh, no, no, no. But so like the one that's kind of derived of what okay. I'm going to okay. talk about. Yeah. So he was a chancellor. And with that said, over time, Imhotep's position was deified. There are a few inscriptions that mention his position and suggest that he was one of the few non-royals to have the honor of being entombed. He was also an architect. But I guess like being a chancellor was also kind of hand in hand with this, like this kind of like the higher intellect suggesting person. And yeah, he was very important at the time. So I guess that can kind of make sense why in the movie they made him a high priestess, which is a very, very important position as well. But, you know. Yeah, yeah. Keep on chatting, chatting. You got to take a (laughs) shot now. I just thought maybe I could deter. I didn't know the answer to that one. Oh. Um, so I, yeah, you need to take your shot. To be fair, that's not like. Okay. Punish me. That <laughs> Let me punish you with the shot that I will consume. Yeah, I, I knew that when I, when I wrote that question, it had absolutely nothing to do with ancient Egypt in the sense of it was based on the mummy. That's such an obscure fact. It's oh, not and like, that movie it's has not King Tut, you know. virtually nothing to do with accurate <laughs> portrayals of anything Egyptian. I just love it because it embodies that kind of pulpy adventure vibe that I just love. I don't know about you, but the name Evelyn is related. Oh, yeah, because there's, yeah, absolutely. So Evelyn Herbert, she was the one who survived. Yeah. Who was, was like Evelyn. Oh, but then there was the guy who died whose middle name was Evelyn. Oh, yeah, Evelyn. Yeah, something Evelyn something. White? (laughs) I already forgot. It's already been two shots ago, so let me take another one. Cheers. Okay. Um... So, yes, the Evelyns (laughs) did exist. And there were so many facts that I learned about the mummy that were both super inaccurate, but had a lot of cool facts about ancient Egypt at the same time. We have to go through them at some point. It was a labor of love, for sure. Not necessarily an intention. It was kind of like a love letter. It was like a fantasy. I love it. Absolutely. But, yeah, I think that's the end of my story, though. So Well, and this is important, because even though you were saving me from a story, because you did this, I do have a little bit of a story to tell you. (laughs) However... All you listeners out there have to forgive me for inaccuracies because I'm pulling most of this from my memory. But to me, the the most cursed things to come from King's Tut's tomb oh were my. actually two trumpets. A silver and okay. a bronze trumpet that were mostly intact. And they were considered very, very, very ornate and amazing. And it appeared as though they were the kind that uh, you saw in all the pictures and inscriptions on the wall and everything mm-hmm. like that. And they were believed to be war trumpets, the kind that you would blow like right before, you know, an attack or to summon people or anything. They were war trumpets. Well, that's cool. 
Well, after these were discovered, it was decided that someone was going to play one of these trumpets in the late 30s. Oh, my. Oh, my. Are you serious? Yeah. And so they didn't have... So modern trumpets have these mouthpieces, but these old ones didn't. And the pictures depicted people blowing directly on these trumpets. So the guy who was going to play them, and he wasn't... Him playing them was considered kind of a not cool thing to do, but he was going to play these trumpets. So why, I mean, I please forgive me, why wouldn't it not have been cool, aside from the same reason why invading a tomb would have been uncool? Oh, I think it was mostly because they're so fragile and they didn't want anyone to break them. Oh, and... you mean preservation. Mm-hmm. Okay. So this guy decided, well, to play these, he tried to shove a modern mouthpiece into it and did break <gasps> it. Oh, but he did manage and he was told he could only play like one or two notes and he decided to play multiple notes to try to play a tune on them, which, by the way, we don't know what the music actually sounded like in ancient Egypt. And these being war trumpets, they probably weren't being blown in the same way that trumpets are done today, like to make the same sounds. There wasn't as much control. It was more like a like a like a war horn, like those, you know, old timey ones. So he managed to get off a few notes and a few months later, World War Two started. Okay, that's a curse. Oh, but <laughs> it, gets, it gets a little worse. Now, hold on. I'm going to pull up my phone because there was a few more things related to this. So the horns were played again in 1967, which were followed by the Six-Day War between Egypt and Israel. Oh, no. Oh, no, it gets, it gets worse. They were played once again in 1990, which immediately <gasps> was followed by the Gulf War. Okay, someone has to stop these people. And according to this website, they said a mischievous member of the museum staff during cleaning played him again in 2011. Oh my god. And immediately followed by the Egyptian Revolution. Okay, people need to calm down about this. What is about these horns that need to be blown? So essentially the idea is that these horns, they're they're meant to bring across war and... World War II, you might say, oh, that sounds a little bit weird because that one was way up in Europe. But World War II actually was across most of the it world. Wa- it was. And there was a significant portion of that well, uh, conflict that was in Northern Africa and in the I Middle East. I was going to say, yeah, that actually did affect that part of the country. I mean, definitely. Yeah, so all of these conflicts that emerged afterwards occurred at least in the relative region. So the idea is don't play these. They're cursed. They bring about war, which I, to me, I, to me, which to me... <laughs> Uh, makes them incredibly terrifying artifacts. Now, here's the other cool thing, and we're going to be able to edit this in afterwards. Oh, yeah. Uh, these, The times they were played have been recorded, and you can listen to them. So we will play those recordings in this... No, now listening to now keep in mind okay. listening to it isn't the curse because they've been put online and I've heard them thousands and millions of people have heard them. The idea is them being played is the problem. Okay, good. I was so, about to put a disclaimer: if any wars no, 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 occur no, 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 after no. this. Recording. No, a lot of people. I've heard these quite a few times. So the idea okay, okay, is, yeah. the idea is, it's when you play it, it's a problem. But they've been recorded, and people can rehear them, and so you can hear the way these trumpets sound to a degree. Once again, someone is playing them who's playing it like it's a modern trumpet, and that's not how you were supposed to play these old ones. But you can at least get some sound. So from it. when you keep saying like that's not how they were supposed to be played, do you mean they were just supposed to be like blown hard, and then that was like no tune, just we, like a we war don't cry? Know. We don't okay. know because we knew it had to be blown. So that's yeah, what I'm saying. But these yeah. are also being done through modern mouthpieces, which is also going to change the sound at least to a is degree there any coming out of it. Reason why they didn't want to just do it like 
direct or I think the artifacts themselves it, were falling apart enough that it was a problem and they didn't want they, like their mouth on it. Yeah. The the whole story about it was more detailed about it. I was pulling this off of the top of my head. I'm just so curious. They're super cursed and we will play the audio. So so just for future us, right now we're gonna play the audio of the horn being played so you can hear it now. So anyway, uh, <laughs> Lily can't react to it because we recorded that part before she actually got to hear it. <gasps> oh my! Okay. <So> cool. <laughs> right. So anyway, that what that King Tut is the story of the day: the curse of King Tut's tomb. That is definitely our story for today, and I'm hoping that you guys enjoyed it because it took me a lot longer than I feel it should have because I've. I, I constantly try to wrap my head around a lot of the information that I was getting. And also, a lot of the information I was getting was not as solid as it should have been. Not like, ooh, was it a ghost or not a ghost? Not like that, but even the amount of people that were there is ambiguous. The amount of people that were reporting about it were ambiguous. The people who died about it. I think like, it's because a lot of people's thoughts on it are based on the stories of the time, which, yeah. as we learned from the way the rights were sold, is... I'm sure you had like three so newspapers printing crazy. stuff that had different information and people read those in the And future. you got like this Weigel guy who was like, screw it, I'm going to talk about this then. And then that totally spun different information as well. It's just, it's how to control people, okay? And I had a hard time, but a fun time. So I'm not that mad about it. <laughs> but still, I want to really thank you all for joining us today. And I want to once again give a great happy birthday to Chase and to any March babies that are out there. Apparently, we know a lot of March babies. All you Pisces, even though that's not all of March, but it's the important part of Pisces. (laughs) Okay, anyway, (laughs) moving past that. And we hope if you guys felt to drink along with me getting them right or wrong, you did. Yeah, and I hope you got more right than wrong because maybe (laughs) I wouldn't have been so spicy at the end here. But also, if you guys want to write to us with a story suggestion or share a personal story for our upcoming listeners episode, which is happening. Right around the corner. Yes. Please do so at hotwpodcast at gmail.com. And as always, I hope you had a fun weekend. But if you ended up having a very good time, (laughs) (laughs) well, don't worry, because the best cure for a hangover is fear. (laughs) Bye.